0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm here with my husband, Russell Case. Well, hello. Hi.
1: I understand you have like a a very special guest for us today.
0: Yeah, I have my dear friend, Lara Land, who's joining us on the podcast today. Hi, Lara. Hi, guys. (laughs) Hi. So, Lara started practicing yoga many years ago, a couple decades, even longer, and has been um, running a traditional Mysore program and yoga school in Harlem for the last, gosh, decade almost, and um, so we're here to talk to you about all kinds of things going on, and You've been living in New York City in the Harlem area, and so how how are things going there? what What's happening?
2: Well, um, you know, as you know, it's a very uh, intense time right now in America, um, in general, in New York City, um, Harlem. Uh, I have to say, I'm actually not in Harlem right now. My husband and I are um, upstate, which we left before uh, the George Floyd crisis. Um, we've been planning to leave for a little while just to get some some space and uh, regroup after uh, we did shut the physical space of land yoga down. Um, but I'm very much in touch with leadership in Harlem, friends, students, um, and so forth. And it seems as though um, even though there have been some um, pretty, you know, pretty bad looting in much of New York City. Um, There is a lot of leadership in Harlem really keeping Harlem uh, a very safe place um, with many, many peaceful protests that are being attended by uh, people of all different backgrounds. Amazing. Yeah, it's a really special um, place.
0: Yeah. Why, Why did you choose Harlem? I mean, you grew up in New Jersey, right?
2: I grew up in Jersey. My dad grew up in Queens, always telling us that we were really secretly New Yorkers. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> just tell people you're from the city. <laughs> yeah. So uh, your dad's from Queens. I think he always felt like he a little bit sold out going to the suburbs. Right. Um, and uh, we came in all the time. You know, I have such amazing memories of holding my grandparents' hands and, you know, walking to Mm -hmm. Broadway shows with them and, um, you know, just experiencing the city from childhood. But I did grow up in Jersey. Um, And then um, I always wanted to live in the city. So once I graduated, I went to Boston University. I graduated and I moved to Williamsburg, Brooklyn, um, which was kind of a very up-and-coming artist-y community at that time. Um, And then I started making – what Lots of trips.
1: That? that was 2002. Oh, wow. We were there the same time.
2: Russell, that's a miss. We should have been friends.
1: I know. <laughs> I was, I was uh, at the corner of uh, Broadway and uh, Bedford in 2002, 2003. I was, in a, I was just in the Hasidic quarter, and I could yeah. walk into the hipster quarter uh, I could walk into the hipster quarter just you know and and get the get the owl into the city.
2: I can see it that that broadway i mean we I go every year just to see what's going on there because it's it's changed so radically, yeah yeah, even the and south so- side yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: at that time you started practicing Ashtanga yoga or you got introduced to Ashtanga yoga.
2: I was introduced to Ashtanga in, um, maybe 99 or 2000. Um, yeah. in, uh, I was, I didn't know it was Ashtanga. I was uh, at Boston university and I joined a gym and started doing these yoga classes, uh, with a teacher there. And I was like, this is amazing. It was really rigorous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I only later realized I was doing half primary. Um, right. <laughs> they, they called it, you know, maybe, power yoga or something rigorous yoga, but it, it was half primary. And, uh, yeah. I didn't know that. So I just loved it. And then I kept going to all these, when I left there, even before that, going to all these yoga classes, trying to find that kind of yoga, <laughs> I didn't right. know what it was. So I took a lot of other yoga, you know, types of yoga. Um, but I always was searching to find that type again. And then I, I founded it, at, um, Greenhouse Holistics in uh, Williamsburg which uh, closed, I think, a couple of years ago. It was really, I think, the first yoga studio there. Um, and I was studying with Andrea Matura, um, who was one of Eddie's students. And, but, and, uh, but there were only lead classes. So I was doing like five lead classes a week. Like somewhere wow. primary somewhere <laughs> half-primary. Yeah. And that was crazy, really. Now you think about it. Um, yeah. And what's, then she um, told me about my story. A-
1: <laughs> wasn't uh, like guta and amy priya weren't they teaching at like gold's gym right around there at the same time or was that more in the city maybe that wasn't in williamsburg but i thought they had opened up like around there
2: i'm not sure i do remember that that was going on i think that was in the city um oh, okay yeah I, f- I feel like that was in like the village but i'm not sure but that that is what was going on they were they were teaching in in gyms and yeah
1: right yeah. Everybody was doing some Ashtanga yoga and gyms at that point to kind of, if you didn't have like a major shala, then you had to kind of go, you know, make it work.
2: Yeah. There was, I think, think, think even crunch I mean, all the gyms had Ashtanga.
1: Oh yeah. That's what it was. Amy Priya was at, was at crunch. At that's crunch, it right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then Guta went over to Williamsburg and opened up a shala for a little while, but I don't, I don't really know. Um. I haven't I haven't heard from her in fifteen years, but anyway.
0: <laughs> so how then did you end up opening a yoga school in Harlem? I mean, I know it's sort of like a decade almost uh, passes between <laughs> you starting yeah. Williamsburg and then getting introduced to Mysore and then going to Mysore, India, and um, yeah.
2: Well, yeah, there's a lot that went on. Yeah, I, I started yeah. going to India like all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, at a certain point, I just decided to give up my Williamsburg apartment because um, that, that was the year that I went to India, then straight to Rwanda and back to India. And it, it didn't make sense to keep like subletting my room out. Mm-hmm. And so when I – I had been like out of the country for about a year – Um, and I was trying to figure out where I, you know, how I get back into the city. Um, and I had heard like these whispers of like Harlem's really cool. Um, and it was certainly affordable for me at that time. I hadn't been working. I would just been volunteering and learning and, um, and so I just like kind of did it on a whim. I also had like a lot of, my students were primarily, um, upper West side. My family was right over the George Washington bridge. So it was it was much closer to the things I was doing of course I got offered a Mysore program in Brooklyn right after I moved to Harlem (laughs) and I had to take it because I was so poor I would travel like five in the morning like two trains and walk over a bridge to Greenpoint and teach daily morning Mysore Uh, oh
1: yeah that was a mess over in Greenpoint I remember that it's so difficult to get over there
2: it's really hard to get to really really hard I would walk over the Pulaski Bridge at like six in the morning. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Can we just yeah. back up for a moment? Was the the Rwanda trip, that was in 2010, 2011?
2: That was in, um, no, that was in 2008. That was right during the financial crisis.
1: Oh, right. That's interesting because I think that's the first time that I heard your name. Um, my friend Sharon Moon had uh, we had put her with uh, into a into a project in in Nairobi uh, with the Kabura settlements there and she had told me about you in Rwanda and I remember hearing your name and and she had been trying to think of some way to 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 see you in some way uh, that wasn't with uh the Africa Yoga Project with Paige Ellenson. Did, did you know her? or Was that in any way involved with what you were doing?
2: No, I'm not sure. I was part of – I think it might have turned into that. It was a, I was in a pilot program, which I didn't really realize at the time, um, that we were like the first ones. And it was part of, um, uh, I think, an, an official nonprofit called We Act Now, Mm -hmm. And then I think it might have later morphed into that or a different name. Um, And what
0: were you doing? You were teaching uh, kids yoga?
2: Mainly kids, uh, also um, women, um, you know, genocide survivors, HIV positive women and children. Um, We go to health clinics and, and do yoga with some of the patients there. We went to a sewing factory and gave them a yoga break.
0: Um, Amazing. What was your takeaway from this experience? What do you think you learned and did it inform you in your teaching today?
2: Yeah, um, there were a lot of takeaways. I mean, the the biggest thing was really learning about this whole concept of like aid and charitable work and, um, you know, some of the misses. I really dove into reading about um, how, you know, white people can really hurt where they tend to help. Um, and I definitely saw some of the darker sides of the nonprofit world. I mean, just like the bitterness of the people who are in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I came back and I actually created this, um, presentation, which was about how, you know, if you have resentments, like don't do service basically, because you're not doing anyone any favors, you know, like people can always feel that. Um, and actually the people that you think you're servicing are often the ones that are teaching you. So that informed a lot of what I do, especially with my nonprofit. And when I train, you know, I train yoga teachers on trauma yoga, but 90% of the training is about like thinking about who you are and, and the, the people that you're working with and learning how to shift the power dynamic, um, mm-hmm. not about, you know, do this pose or do that pose, but it's, it's mainly teaching about really what service is and how we can look at it more as uh, shared learning and, um, just giving people a chance, uh, to understand the, um, power that they have within themselves to make their own choices around their breath and their body.
1: Could I just ask? Do you, Do you think at all that the being Jewish in a in a majority Protestant country in any way informed your work on on wanting on on service and and social equity?
2: Maybe I mean I was I was always had a some desire in me to help. I know tzedakah. You know, is a uh, a big concept that I was raised with, um, mm-hmm. and um, you know, healing the world and those concepts um, right. were very much ingrained in my in my Jewish upbringing.
1: Well, let me ask you a, a, a slightly different question. I mean, do you think of yourself as a as a as a white woman? <laughs>
2: um, I do. I do. I know that there are people that don't think that Jews are white or there are um you know, I've heard that before.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and but in the sense that um the the privileges that I've received in the US and in my life, um, you know, I think in general I receive the privileges of a of an able bodied white woman. Right. You know. it's it's
1: just it's interesting because it's it's a it's a weird sort of balance between having uh privilege and and a very and a strong family structure but at the same time and many times in history being you know the object of hate you know by by entire nations is something that's that's in the back of my mind when i when i see you know any kind of of nationalism like i get a kind of you know you know, chill up, up up my neck when I when I hear these kinds of of concepts. But I but I also feel like it it informs us. You know, when we're doing any kind of service work, it's like, are we a you know a white knight? Are we doing more harm than than help when we go in and and work with uh, underserved communities? It's like, well, actually, you know, I have or uh, maybe uh, you have. Um, a sense of what being a minority is and in a way that maybe some don't.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you that that's in our history and it's in our DNA for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that it's that Jews in America, you know, have had a very different experience than, um, blacks in America. I mean, of course, you yeah. know, my father has shared the stories of, he he tells me about being a kid in Queens and being, like, beaten up by the Protestants and, um, right. you know, really being harassed as a child for being a Jew. Um, yeah. But, you know, he wasn't brought here on a slave ship. Um, so there's, you know... Right. It's, I think it's slightly get, can be dangerous to compare the histories, although, of course, we can, we can call on um, some of that memory to just to remind us more, you know, to to remind us that we haven't always been in a place of privilege, and that um, to relate to people's struggles more.
1: Yeah, well, there was a there was a wonderful text that I I, um, I remember I forwarded to you yesterday that I that I, um, I a social history professor gave to me in college. Like you know, he was he was teaching from Howard Zinn's the social the social history of the United States and he gave us this text uh when the irish became white and it it completely blew my mind it was like i've been kind of thinking of myself as a white person It's like well there was a time when irish people weren't white in this country mm-hmm. either and also have a kind of a minority history of of being um uh oppressed and then you know things as they do in history, things shift. Um, but I just, and a lot I just, of it
2: comes from my you know, the dominant culture pitting the minority cultures against each
1: other. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. Because if
2: all the like minorities came together, they wouldn't be minority. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's
2: right. <laughs> a lot of that that's
1: on. right. Yeah. Or in the same way that women make up, you know, fifty two percent of the country and yet are somehow a minority. <laughs> <laughs> Does that inform your work at all that uh, uh thinking uh, of um, uh, feminist issues in 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 the kind of work that you do or the kind of service that you do?
2: um I think feminism is a big part of who I am um, mm-hmm. in every part of my life. Um, they say it starts at home <laughs> and, and anyway, uh, I really try to be a feminist at home. I'm really like. um, I really try to break those, you know, assumptions and norms in every, in every way. And I just think it's, it's in me, um, a lot, um, just in subtle ways. I'm always just looking at, um, you know, just, just those like assumptions, um, you know, that the woman's going to do this or feel this, um, or behave in a certain way. Um, always questioning those, um, I'm, not sh- I'm trying to think of a really concrete example as far as in my work, um, I, but I see it come out more subtly. I mean, I like to work with women a lot. Um, mm-hmm. The whole board of my nonprofit is uh, made up of women, um, and my nonprofit serves uh, quite a number of uh, domestic abuse shelters. Um, so I'm, I'm always interested in women's issues and women's equality.
0: Can you tell us more about your nonprofit work? It's called Three and a Half Acres, right?
2: It's called Three and a Half Acres. It's actually based off a quote from Sherat um, from mm-hmm. one of the conferences where he was. He said that each human being really needs three and a half acres of land to breathe properly. It beautiful. Rest. I really loved it. It resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea behind the nonprofit was – Space. Cre- can we create that space? You know, though we don't have it in the city and in Harlem and Upper Manhattan, somehow this idea of creating that space to breathe, um, right? And that's that. Uh, it was actually formed um right after the killings of Mike Garner and, um oh, sorry, uh, Eric Garner. Eric
1: Garner. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and Mike Brown. Um oh, yeah. Those those happened while I was in India, and mm-hmm. sort of prompted the seed for for the idea for the nonprofit. I mean, it had been in me, you know, I had thought about doing something in my neighborhood since I had that experience going to uh, Rwanda. But I had to open up the studio first and um, kind of get that going. And But at that point, I felt like the studio was not a good enough place that I could take on another project.
0: Yeah, amazing. And so you've worked with uh, women in shelters and what other groups has your nonprofit served?
2: So the nonprofit is, um, you know, we're different. A lot of yoga nonprofits are focused on, you know, serving one kind of trauma, you know, sexual Mm -hmm. trauma or war trauma or something. And we were more looking at like community. Um, and so we serve a lot of different people, which has its, um, challenges. Cause when you're training teachers, you know, it's like, you're not just training them for these bodies or these bodies, or that this one has been through this trauma. You're just more, it's a more open, um, and more unexpected can, can happen. Um, but yeah, we, we serve really everyone from the elderly at the food bank, Um, We work with uh, people that have just come out of prison that are working on just getting back into society. We work a lot with um, LGBTQ youth, a lot with homeless youth. Um, We work uh, with domestic abuse survivors in in a number of shelters. We work with um, some mental health homes. Um, um, Yeah, a lot, a lot of different spaces. And we work with um, cops and young adults in our neighborhood, too. Um, to practice yoga together.
0: That's that's really amazing. That's a beautiful um, bringing together of people who normally wouldn't necessarily be in the same uh, room doing the same things together. Yes,
2: <laughs> and that's the idea. I mean, moving forward, like to to do more things like that. Like you know, the have the young people come to the food bank and do yoga with the seniors. Um, mm-hmm. And create more bridges in the community through the practice.
1: Did Did you feel like the the um, police officer your police officers you were working with did they Did you feel like they took to the work? Did they feel like they already had like uh, established de escalation practices that they could refer to?
2: Um, so the work with the police officers has taken many different forms. Um, when we started, um, we started offering free yoga just for cops. Um, right. uh, and I did it out of my studio so they could come to me, um, and I would go and visit the precincts at their roll call, which they have roll call like three times a day. And I would go and speak as a special guest at their roll call where they're like lining up to hear their mission and try to convince them to come to free yoga. Oh my gosh. How did that go? Well, we, we got, you know, we, we would have a a small group. We had some at times, you know, committed groups, you know, like five, six, you know, and inevitably like it would trickle down when, like, uh, summer comes and crime kind of goes up in the city or, and then you'd have to really fight hard to get them back in again. Or there'd usually be one cop who was really into it and would make sure all their friends would come. Then they get transferred to another unit and then the other ones don't come anymore. It's really hard, you know? Yeah, really hard. Um, and then I also was working, um, to communicate with police headquarters and to try to bring yoga into, um, uh, the academy. So I felt like when they were getting all the training, whatever, however they're getting trained, they would yeah. also have this seed of yoga, um, at the very, you know, training level.
0: And amazing. I was kind of
2: getting somewhere with it, but then they had a change of commissioner. So like there've been a lot of roadblocks, um, but we did do yoga at police headquarters a couple of times. But the the best thing that's happened is uh, a number of cops have taken it amongst themselves Mm-hmm. um, to get yoga certifications and start offering free yoga to other cops. And this, I think is working very well because with the, the NYPD, it seems that things work better. And this is not just the NYPD. It's with, you know, many, many different populations. If it comes out of the population, um, it, it's more accepted. Yeah.
1: Right. That's, that's interesting. It, it, I was just thinking about it. Um, so when I was in the Milwaukee public schools for two years, and I was and I was teaching school teachers, um, sometimes they'd have me go. Would you, you know, work with the the safety officers, you know, and see if you know, and see about trying to get them because they're, you know, they need these exercises. But what I found actually of the entire population, from administration to teachers to students, the safety officers took to it the easiest cuz they their whole lives were were professionally escalating conflict and they had all these strategies in their back pocket and took to it you know really you know immediately you know even if you'd think that you know they they wouldn't be into like you know counting on their their fingers and breathing or things like that or you know you know, an anchor breath, like putting a hand on your chest and your heart. It's like, oh yeah, we do all this all the time with the kids. I was like, oh wow, that was it was amazing. But uh, another kind of thing that you, you reminded me of was um, being in these kind of precarious positions. Um, I don't know if you ever met our executive director, Gene Ruffin, who um, is a kind of a, a phenomenal phenomenal person one of the the first african-american uh vice presidents at ibm and um i don't know if you ever, ever did have a chance to meet him no
2: oh,
1: yeah. he he would often put me in these r- ridiculous positions he he would keep meeting people and then say you know russell let's go meet them let's go talk to them and we made an appointment one time for to go to Oakland to this place called the Church Up by the Side of the Road, which is a large, uh, kind of you know, massive uh, black Baptist church, and we were going to go there and speak to them uh, about the benefits of yoga and see if they would allow us to teach yoga to their population and their congregation and maybe get involved in the schools there. It was a kind of um, uh, community push, right. But as it turned out, Gene couldn't make it that day. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, I suddenly found myself at eight in the morning um, reading scripture to, you know, the little little white boy (laughs) reading scripture to this massive congregation. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is something I'm going to remember. I'm going to try and now teach yoga from And I did, I had to teach yoga from the pulpit. And it was, um, (laughs) you find yourself in interesting places, you know, but it's, it's fantastic work though, that to be in that situation, you know, were you in, were you in Manhattan? Were you you in in Harlem at a police station?
2: Oh yeah. That's
1: just fantastic to find yourself in a position like that and still like you know, poised and ready to go and then getting people charged and energized and, and like, going and championing this work with their fellows. I mean, it's amazing.
2: I think it's a great experience to, um, A, to be able to, this, you know, I've always been able to, like, change my communication style, you know, been being in front of different audiences. And so right. to the challenge of, trying to communicate to the cops at these roll calls in their language, you know, it's like, right. I, I found that fun for a while. <laughs> Quite yeah. I yeah. think it's also always good to have a experience of, you know, being the minority in the room, you know,
1: right. just, just yeah.
2: feeling, just feeling what that, that feels like.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. Cause it's so difficult to, um, you know, teach yoga or to uh, introduce these practices to groups of people who really like aren't seeking it out. I always find that like a real (laughs) challenge, you know, like how do you um, describe benefits to people that really, you know, the idea of doing yoga is the furthest thing from, from their mind, you know, how do you get them to see why it's good for them?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, just doing things like just doing a breath together, Mm -hmm. you know, so they can feel for themselves, you know, because you can't tell someone. Um, some people heard about yoga. They have their ideas about yoga. A lot of the officers wanted to come, but you know, they, and we, we put the classes specifically like right before, right after their shifts, you know? Um, so we tried to work really closely with their shifts, um, But uh, a lot, there are a lot of factors that were getting in the way from them getting on the mat, but, but many did. I mean, we had some really, um, very, very loyal students. Um, but yeah, it's always, I think it's always about when people ask, you know, what are the benefits and, you know, I, I try to encourage them to see for themselves, you know, to give it a try. And, um, because until you feel it in your own body, you know, and, and also, you know, yoga, I always say yoga is like saying yoga is like saying like, I don't like yoga. I don't like food. You know, you've got like so many different kinds of food and then you got all the different kinds of chefs, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, it, it's, you know, I often feel sad when someone has, you know, one experience of yoga that, that they didn't find worked for them or, you know, and then they're just, they're turned off of it for a long time. That's, that's kind of sad to me.
0: Yeah. I'd like to ask you a little bit about, since you've been working in Harlem and, you know, there's a lot of diversity, especially in that area of New York City, um, what, what's what been your experience with, like, the Ashtanga practice and diversity? Because it sort of feels like it's a practice that, you know, really attracts a lot of sort of, you know, privileged white women um a few uh privileged white men
1: that was my attraction (laughs) to it there's so many (laughs) women (laughs) yeah wow there's really a lot of women here
0: i mean there's (laughs) You know, there's just not so many minority groups represented. I mean, I guess there's a lot of Asian uh, population now, Um, you know, going to Mysore, we see more diversity in India when we're in India. But still, I mean, there's not a lot of African-American representation. What's been your experience with that?
2: After I moved to Harlem, you know, I started to see all the places in my life which were just white, you know, it's like it opened my eyes. Like I I think before I could just be in a you know in a restaurant with all white people and I wouldn't have noticed. But now I really notice who's in the room. I'm grateful yeah. for that. And I've definitely noticed in Mysore, you know, and uh tried to make an effort to to make sure that the people who are minorities there feel are feeling, you know, welcome and comfortable. Um mm-hmm. Uh, do you th- I think, do you think there's yeah.
0: something that's like, um, like preventing you know this particular like group of people from being attracted to the practice, or is it just not reaching them, or is it the way that it's represented in the media or like on social media? Or well, do you have any are, thoughts? Yeah,
2: there are a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. The the you know the images, the representation, both on social media and advertisement. I mean, I got attracted to yoga because i i saw the women that are doing yoga like they look really good <laughs> like mm-hmm. they have muscles like they look hot like i want to look like that you know so like mm-hmm. and they look like you know i could look like that but i didn't see you know it's a lot so of the madonna fun. arms <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly, you know, so, you know, having, you know, being able to see people who look like you, um, and that includes, you know, different body types and, um, ages and, you know, that's, that's a big thing. Um, at the studio, we really made a conscious effort. We have a, like a student spotlight, you know, so one of the things I tried to do was really spotlight the diversity in our yoga room. Um. And just just to sh- to show that yoga really is for everyone, and um, um, I think it takes more than that, though. It's there. There are many reasons. So one was trying to, um, how it's how the yoga is portrayed, and that you kind of it, it looks like you already have to be fit. You know, um, people really think yoga. You know, I I can't do yoga. I'm too I'm too tight. Um, sure, yeah, you know, just we tried to really debunk that um, mainly by standing at the front desk and telling people. Um, and then by giving look into the yoga room um, where you could really see at land yoga was probably the most, for me, the most diverse yoga room I've ever seen in, in always, especially in, in age. Um, I mean, another thing is, uh, you know, leadership. I mean, you know, we don't have enough, African American yoga teachers, um, yeah. and that's important, you know. Um, but you know, there might be a lot. There might be other reasons that um, that, in general, you know, African Americans may not have been drawn to maybe a practice with a white man, you know, telling them what to do in a very stern yeah.
0: mm-hmm. way. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's <You know? laughs> a turn off.
2: You know, it. Maybe, that, it mean, man. <laughs> maybe that wasn't the experience that they wanted. Somehow yeah. we did, you know. Right. <laughs> but maybe yeah. they already got slapped enough around. <laughs> like, yeah, right? you know, uh somehow mm-hmm. we needed to go through that, I think. Um so I guess there's a lot of layers there. I'm probably not the top person to ask about it, but um
0: I was Yeah, no, it's just from your experience it's interesting to kinda um here, do you do you feel like? I mean, I feel like you know, the, there's benefits for everyone, but I also do feel like the series itself is a, is a little bit, especially if it's taught in a very classical kind of like straight up from mice or India kind of way. Um, I mean, it's a very difficult series, and it's not really accessible for like a lot of people.
2: That's right, and that that we never taught it that way you know, especially, you know, having had the experience in Rwanda, I always, I always aim to teach the person, you know, um, and to keep the heart of the practice. There's a lot of really good stuff there. Mm Um, you know, the three pointed focus, the the breathing, um, even having a, a set series of postures where, because it allows you to go into more of a meditative state when you're not thinking about what's the sequence yeah. I'm going to do today, you know. When you take that away, I think that there's something very powerful about just you know, and the repetition and the um, yeah, dropping in each day um, to look at yourself and how you are in this moment in this posture, and it, it's is there's a lot of really powerful stuff there, but um, you have to be flexible, you know. Um, and,
0: yeah, not, uh, just in, in not, <laughs> not just in your body. Not just in your body, own, you in know? Your
2: <laughs> If you really want to teach people, you have to, you have to look at the person and, um, and honor what, what's, what their needs are, um, mm-hmm. whether it's sitting in a chair or leaning against a wall or, you know, using a prop or skipping a pose, you know. I mean, yeah. you, you have to be a little bit, you know, flexible in your approach. I th- I think, and we always were and continue to be. And I think that's why we have a lot of different kinds of people in our classes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's helpful. And I think, I mean, just looking at, you know, being more inclusive, those are some really like important points that you touched upon, like creating more opportunity um, for you know, different communities to be exposed to yoga, um, you know, whether it's like a financial, um, you know, obstacle or a visibility obstacle, a relatability obstacle or like a physical obstacle also, you know, how can we, um, make yoga more something that people can connect with on a personal level and, and really find the value of, um, for themselves. You know, I think that these are important things, um, like as a yoga community to, to really look at and think about.
2: Absolutely.
1: It's something that we, we thought about this a lot about in terms of, of yoga or the brand of Ashtanga yoga or whether the, the, the value and what we wanted to teach as an organization, when we were also teaching yoga to kids, um, Uh, like Lara is, is we were thinking about making, giving an opportunity to an underserved population that hadn't been exposed to, to breath work. And that was, you know, that was particularly important to us just to, you know, the, to learn that there was a possibility that you could, you could breathe. Um, And then that might save your life. It might save a trip to the principal's office. Like there's a range of, of, you know, possibilities <laughs> where you could be useful. And I, to me, it kind of kept coming down to um, whether or not you had access to a, a temple of faith or not.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so those, in those communities where I taught, where there was a temple in some way, whether it was a Protestant church or a Baptist church or Catholic church or a synagogue uh there was maybe more res- uh, resilience in terms of their ability to process stress. And so if I was if I was teaching, say, the black community in Milwaukee of teachers, administrators, they there seemed to be so much even though the black population is the highest population of, of hypertension in our in our country, it's it still seemed like that particular Population that a particular enclave had uh, had a well to access that the white teachers in that community didn't at all. They were they were completely overrun uh, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And so, one of the things I would I would speak to Harmony when when you're talking about you know access and yoga is I I think that you have um, a large uh white female educated population that's I think perhaps dissatisfied in some way with their temple,
0: right, yeah,
1: um
0: their religious upbringing or
1: in some way, mm-hmm. uh maybe they're just reading too much you know Derrida, I don't know what's going <laughs> on, but then they're like then they're like going and saying we're you know we're gonna uh we're gonna look for something where we can remake ourselves.
0: Right or be spiritual without being religious. Right, mm-hmm.
1: right, and yeah. so I, I, I think that that the breakdown of the relationship to church and a community is, I think, I think helps inform a lot of what you see in terms of whether people are using yoga or or, or have a you have a place they already go to or right. really need one.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting observation.
2: Yeah. That's a powerful point. I mean, a lot of us got into this yoga and went started going to India looking for something like, mm-hmm. yeah. like you just said, you know, just not satisfied with whatever spiritual religious gifts were given to us or dogma. And we're looking for something else to ultimately, you know, to connect with true, our true nature. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, you you and, were yeah. you were in you were Boston University, and you're 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 getting an education. And, and did the whole did, the, did your whole religious upbringing just fall apart for you there?
2: No, i teased
1: you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
2: but, like no, it was later. No, <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: but what, what, you know, you, I mean, because people make choices. Did you feel like you'd make you made a conscious choice a, away from? from, you know, lighting a candle on Friday or instead of, you know, going um, to yoga?
2: No, it, it was at first, it, initially it was more blended, you know, um, oh, you yeah. know, the Jew and the Lotus. I love all those boo Jews.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> I, mean, a, a lot, I mean, a
2: lot of the Buddhists are, are, are Jews. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, that's right. You know, I love all that, that stuff. Really right. But I
2: really it, it, do.
1: Seems, it seems to suggest that there is a crisis that they're seeking right. out something else outside of temple.
2: Because I think, you know, the we, the way that the know. religion was uh communicated, you know, I know where I where I grew up, um, you know, I started later on looking at this, you know, the services and just going, this is not it's not doing it, you know, it's just like right. reciting the words and the the heart, the soul, the spirit um wasn't there. I couldn't I had to really search hard to find it, you know? And so, you know, it was a little, it was empty, right? became just, just say these words and do this prayer and bow three times, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's somehow the the soul sometimes gets uh, lost in favor of just rote repetition, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, did your husband? Did he get a bris? Is he going to so study? Study? he, study? So did that's, he study? Like, that's a big
2: joke. All his friends are like, <laughs> yeah, sure. you need
1: you need to get that cut off. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's my own personal. The
2: Germans are very against this. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, how like, yeah. <laughs>
1: So so, I mean, your child's got to be Jewish, though. Oh well, she—the child's already Jewish
0: through the mother. Yeah, because the mother. He didn't need to convert, though. So
1: yeah, he's all right.
0: He's all right. He's all
1: right.
2: Um,
0: But yeah, you had a you had a baby last year, year and a half ago. Now, wow, time flies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little baby girl. How how has your practice and life changed? I mean, you also got married. That's
2: a big deal, too. <laughs> My life dramatically changed in the last three years. Uh, I'm still catching up with that whirlwind. <laughs> yeah, right?
0: It'll take about another three years, and then you'll finally be like, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> it's going to take Wait, a
2: little longer. So now. much, so fast. Um, you know, really, really, because uh, I – it's, it's about identity change and that's, it's major. It is major. Um, you know, I didn't realize how much I identified with, you know, being this independent, um, really independent, (laughs) you know, we go talking back to that, you know, we were talking about feminism and, you know, I was really into my independence, um, and doing, you know, things my way and, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, running my school and working whenever you know, um, just really on my own for for a long time. Um, didn't didn't realize uh, fully, you know, what what a shift a baby and marriage would be. I mean, it's it's awesome. I wanted it so so much. I wanted it mm-hmm. so badly for my life to have love and partnership and to have a child. Um, but I definitely didn't account for um, what uh, identity. Um, I would say identity crisis, honestly. Yeah. Um, uh, mm-hmm. You know, that part I didn't really account for. I just thought that I would like have the baby and, you know, it would just be like another – because I've done a lot of things. You know, I'm right. someone that's good at doing things, you know. I yeah. thought it like kind of another thing that I would do and I would just yeah. do it all. <laughs> <No>. right.
1: <laughs> lean <in>. yeah,
2: <laughs> right. Lean in. Right. Yeah. yeah no no it's not like that at all like no. it's not like another thing that you do like opening right. another business or something so right. um, now I know that <laughs> and uh, and it never yeah. lets up it's relentless acceptance is the first step you know? <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah so I had to learn to um, a a lot about softening in many mm-hmm. different ways and um you know, accepting what I can and cannot do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think that's, these are good lessons. They're, they're not easy really to learn for me. I'm going to be honest, you know, they're not easily, easily learned, but you know, it's, it's, it's growth process and it, it helps me to understand others, you know, and, uh, really understand what some of the mothers are going through who, you know, are on my team, on my board. And, um, I feel like I'm uh, I've grown gentler with others because of this experience.
0: Yeah, you realize like the answer like just get up earlier doesn't always uh, solve the problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like if you're going to bed at midnight, get up earlier doesn't doesn't always work when you're already waking up at like four or four thirty in the morning. <laughs> Maybe, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Who's the woman that wrote "Lean In"? Was it was it Sharon Salzberg? Is that her name? Is that what it was?
2: I'm not sure. I think it. She. she I think that's it. She. Uh, she worked. She was. Uh, she works for Facebook, right? Is she. Uh, yeah, that's right. I read
1: the, the book. Like too. The CEO. <laughs> and like, like after the book came out, her husband just died, just dropped dead one day, just you know, heart attack at like 48 or something like that. And then she, she said, yeah, you know, actually, this is a lot harder than I thought. Mm-hmm. Leaning in is not. I can't do this anymore. Like, there's a at some point something. You, you something has to give at a certain point,
2: yeah. I think so. And, um, you know, what I've come to understand for myself is that there's different I, I love this about life, you know, there's different phases of life, and different. And if you have a long enough life, you have a chance to kind of be different people in different parts of your, different times, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is a time for me to be a mom, mm-hmm. um you know, to be a mom and to, um, my focus has shifted and, um, it's, it's, it's taking me time to understand and to find the right work, mom, wife, friendship, social justice, daughter, balance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's not easy. Um, but yeah, it's a right. good thing. Um, And I, I often remind myself when I'm feeling, you know, frustrated about not getting something work related done that, you know, work will be there, you know, Mm -hmm. work will be there for a long time. But these, these early days with my daughter, you know, I I only get a certain amount of of time to experience that. So I'm enjoying it and her and um, she's, she's a priority right now. Yeah, good.
0: She
1: must have like a whole developed personality now. Like she's like, do you, you know what she's like? What does she like?
0: She, she she's trying to boss you.
2: <laughs> she's strong-willed. She is really strong-willed. <laughs> um, she's she she's she's well, so she uh, I don't like to tell her, but she I mean, she's very smart. She's fast learning. She has, mm-hmm. I think, over thirty words, which is like highly unusual for 15 month old um, she's very um, very curious she loves the nature you know a lot of her words are stick and grass and rock and um, mm, she's a nice. climber she loves to climb I think a lot of kids do at that age and, um, she loves music really loves music nice. um, mm. yeah she's she's uh, she's funny too she's she's really sweet we love mm. her we'll keep her yeah <laughs> Yeah. She's, she's gonna be
0: bossing you around in no time. So. Yeah, she already is already the boss
2: of the house. It's like I'm the, I wasn't holding like a paper the right way today. It's like she <laughs> I'm like, oh, was I holding the paper wrong?
1: And she yeah. has a total meltdown.
2: Oh, total meltdown. I like did hold yeah. yeah. the right way. Oh my god. Oh my yeah. god. But,
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's so many so many joys within the struggle of trying to find that balance between you know all the things you need to do all the things you want to do and just trying to like really stay present and be attentive and you know take it all in at the same time you
2: mentioned you know I just want I don't want to I want to make sure I remarked on it is about the sleep because you know I used to do that you know, especially in my earlier Ashtanga years, you know, yeah. doing those five hours, and you don't need sleep if you meditate twice a day, and right, like <laughs> I need sleep. <laughs> no. Yeah, I really need yeah. to sleep. Like that's something that has changed dramatically in my life. That I put a lot of respect and protection around my sleep, um, yeah, and getting a sufficient amount of sleep because um, I really suffered memory loss from lack of sleep. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I, I don't want to go through that again. <laughs>
0: yeah and it it's it's very important for health actually <laughs> yeah sleep is a, <laughs> kind of a central uh pillar of maintaining yeah. good health <laughs> letting the body I remember uh, there
2: were like all those people like I don't need to sleep I do a Shtanga, like yeah I, meditate. I sleep two hours a night like it was kind of revered that's how yeah. I remember a lot of- yeah yeah, so, no, not me. I get all my sleep. Yeah, it's <laughs> good.
0: You. you don't want to have, like, mental breakdowns on your on your child or your spouse uh, exactly. on a regular basis. You know, you've exactly. got to space those out, like, <laughs> yeah, <space them> out. <laughs> once or twice a week instead of once or twice a day. <laughs> That's
2: right. That's right. Sleep will do that. It will help you space those
0: yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. So we're really excited to be doing this Um yoga retreat with you and Timo. yeah.
1: I, 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 I was going to say, there was, I, was, I'm, I, have, I have the opportunity to talk about parts of the brain that are affected by sleep and I'm, I'm really excited about it. The memory and appetite are grossly affected by, by disruption in sleep. And so it makes perfect sense to me that you'd have memory issues.
2: I'm really glad that you're going to be sharing that. Very, mm-hmm. very important. Information and,
0: and you're going to be talking a little bit about trauma and yoga, yeah, oh,
2: yeah. I mean, practices all... that we could do. i had yeah, so much trauma, I, we are going yoga. through trauma right now, all of us, are. <laughs> yeah. I know, this, no, it's, we are, we are, you know, different levels, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this yeah, is but serious, it's,
1: it's traumatizing to witness so many people being beaten up. And you just and I'm taking it all in, and I'm like, and I'm and I'm consuming it. I'm consuming violence to to my fellow citizens on a you know a minute by minute basis. And it's you it 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 adds up.
2: It does. It really does. Um, if you're if you're paying attention like you are, you know, and and so our practices, you know, they our physical practices may need to shift to yeah. attend to that. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to talk about, you know, to, mm-hmm. and in order to keep a, a practice through a lifetime, you know, and I, I know yeah. you, you two both understand that, you know, and that the, you know, if, if in order to keep this practice, which we love and we benefit from, we, we may have to adapt it at times in our life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's
0: helpful it's to spend also or break. Yeah. It's helpful I think to people know give it up. how to do that. Right.
2: Exactly. Exactly. How can
0: how can we adapt it? How can what can we do um, to help nourish our body and our mind, and also honor our energy and our emotions uh, without, like you say, losing the practice or completely giving it up? Right.
2: Yeah, I really feel strongly about this because I think a certain amount of people leave this practice, you know, because they they weren't given those options, opportunities, tools. Mm -hmm. Um, and eventually it just becomes too hard to maintain like that, you know, six day a week, you know, primary second. And so, and they don't see, they don't see acceptance in in the community or room to, to do it a different way, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so they leave it and they leave something that has helped them for so long. Um, So that's that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. yeah.
0: And and tell us just quickly a little bit about Timo cuz he's like the mystery man, but he's also <laughs> uh incredibly like I don't know, well-versed, well-practiced in Buddhist meditation, right?
2: He really is. He's super modest and uh yeah, he's kind of quiet um about his education and you know yeah he's a mystery man um, but <laughs> he studies at the Bodhi College which like with Christina Feldman and um mm-hmm. I oh. mean the list of teachers is like unbelievable who he's um gets to work with um yeah on a regular basis it's really mind-boggling amazing um and he's he um is MBSR trained um oh, yeah yeah, so uh, f- for those who don't know, it's mindfulness-based stress reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to actually get um, trained in mindfulness-based self-compassion.
0: Beautiful.
2: Um, I'm, I was supposed to go this uh, March, but um, it was canceled due to COVID, but it's rescheduled for next year, so hopefully I'll be able to go and do that because um, we feel those things really complement each other. You know, they mm-hmm. say the mindfulness and the compassion are uh, Buddha said the two wings, right? So, without, I think a lot of the mindfulness got really popular, um, yeah. But um, oh, that's why Timo is really excited that you are doing the loving kindness because yeah. he's like, okay, now we have both parts working together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he wanted me to tell you that.
0: <laughs> okay, super. <laughs> yeah, I love the I love the meta meditation and the the. Yeah, compassion, the kindness, the empathy—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's transformative, actually.
2: And the mindfulness without that can be kind of cold, you know. Yeah, I'm just noting, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, it needs that. It really needs that.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah. So we're gonna have an amazing weekend. I'm so excited to spend two days with you guys, and we have the science, we have mindfulness, we have uh compassion we have uh trauma <laughs> i mean not giving trauma but <laughs> <laughs> no. responding to trauma
2: <laughs> and some soul seeking and some of my yeah some of my purpose kind of work too i do a lot of coaching with people i'm helping them to realign with what's meaningful to them in their lives um and to just take the small actions that are in alignment with with their their soul purpose
0: yeah, I'm so excited about that. I am i can't wait for that part because I think it's so valuable to take time out and really uh, reset and reframe and refocus and it's something that you actually kind of need to do regularly, you know?
2: Yes. Cause I mean, should. I know you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's Especially right now, it's a really good time to think about yeah. what's important you know, what's really important mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't always mean like you, you leave your job or you leave your, you know, your life, but there's just, nice. there's small things you can do, you know, mm-hmm. that, that just keep you in alignment with, with your values um, and remind you of why you're here and what, and what feels good and um, also what you can bring and give to your circle, your society. So I love yeah. I love doing this kind of work with people. It's it's so it's so fun. It's so fun to yeah. see to see people really blossom when they when they click into what that is for them.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm just really honored that you you came on the show and and it's, you're such an inspiration and you're such a a giant in this community and I'm I'm just really grateful that you'd come on and talk about it because it's just. It's incredible to see someone who who can juggle so many balls at once. When I'm, you know, you're, you're, when I'm struggling to like bounce one, and it's just sort of it's amazing.
2: Well, I think you give <laughs> me too much credit. I'm I'm the one who's honored. I really, really am. I I respect the two of you so much. Um, love you both very dearly, and you know you're my teachers. I'm learning from you all the time. Um, well.
0: Yeah. We have we have mutual love going on. And please give <laughs> you a big hugging big smooch hug from both of us. Yeah. We'll yeah. do. We'll do. And we can't love wait him to also. This- yeah, he's, he's
2: great. He's great. I really okay. can't wait to be with you for the weekend. Yeah, yeah
0: us too. And if uh, anyone else wants to join us for the weekend, which I hope that – some of you listening to this do, you can either go to Lara's website. You want to give them all of your all of your stuff, all of your websites and your and your
2: handles and all plug the and yeah, so many websites, but uh, landyoga.com is a good one that has yeah. um, our that has, you know, under workshops, it has our retreat and all the other things. Um Land Yoga's physical space has shut right now, but we're streaming workshops, classes, um, group coachings and tons of things. Um, you can check out soulfestrevolution.com, which is a free yoga festival that I produce, um, three and a half acres, dot uh, org, which is the nonprofit, um, and laraland.us. But you can, you know, if you go to land yoga, you can kind of from there, um, everything, find everything, connected. Yeah, all the different <laughs> things.
0: <laughs> yes. And I also have the retreat on my website as well. So either place you can register, it'll take you there. And we would love for you to join us because we're super excited about this and it's going to be phenomenal. And I think life changing and just a really amazing reset and redirect and help us to go inward and, and then replenish ourselves so we can go outward again right that's it yeah mm. so thanks for thanks for being on our show today thank you Laura. thank Love you me. russell
2: thank you harmony have a beautiful day thanks
0: thanks for listening to this episode of finding harmony with me your host harmony slater you can find out more information on my website harmonyslater.com and i look forward to connecting with you again soon